and extrovert millionaires, both of whom intended them for luxurious personal vacation travel. Both buses had rear ramps to accommodate their mini-cars. Both, presumably, would rest for about fifty weeks a year in their specially built garages. The other three buses had been bought by the government. The dawn was not yet in the sky. The other three white buses were in a garage in downtown San Francisco. The big sliding doors were closed and bolted. In a canvas chair in a corner, a man in plain clothes, a sawn-off riot gun held on his lap by flaccid hands, slept peacefully. He had been dozing when the two intruders arrived, and was now blissfully unaware that he had sunk into an even deeper sleep, because he'd inhaled a single second squirt from the gas gun without being aware of the fact. He would wake up within the hour almost equally unaware of what had happened, and would be extremely unlikely to admit to his superiors that his vigilance had been a degree less than eternal. The three buses looked indistinguishable from Branson's, at least externally, although the centre one was markedly different in two respects, one visible, the other not. It weighed two tonnes more than its companions, for bulletproof glass is a great deal heavier than ordinary plate glass, and those panoramic buses had an enormous glass area. And the interior of the coach was nothing less than a Sybarite's dream, which was no less than what one would expect for the private transportation of the country's chief executive. The presidential coach had two huge facing sofas, so deep, so soft and so comfortable, that the overweight man possessed of prudent foresight would have thought twice about ensconcing himself in either of them, for regaining the vertical would have called for an apoplectic amount of willpower or the use of a crane. There were four armchairs constructed along the same treacherously voluptuous lines, and that, in the way of seating accommodation, was that. There were cunningly concealed spigots for ice water, Scattered copper coffee tables and gleaming gold-plated vases awaiting their daily consignment of fresh flowers. Behind this section were the washroom and the bar, a bar whose capacious refrigerators, in this particular and unusual instance, were stocked largely with fruit juices and soft drinks, in deference to the customs of the President's guests of honour, who were Arabs and Muslims. Beyond this again, in a glassed-in compartment that extended the full width of the bus, was the communication centre, a maze of miniaturised electronic systems which was constantly manned whenever the President was aboard. It was said that this installation had cost considerably more than the coach itself. Besides incorporating a radio telephone system that could reach any place in the world, it had a small row of differently coloured buttons in a glass case which could be removed only with the aid of a special key. There were five such buttons. To press the first brought instant contact with the White House in Washington. The second was for the Pentagon. The third was for the Airborne Strategic Air Command. The fourth was for Moscow. And the fifth for London. Apart from the necessity of being in touch with his armed forces all the time, the President was an acute sufferer from telephonitis even to the extent of an internal phone connecting him with his habitual seat on the bus and the communications compartment at the rear. 
but it was not in this coach that the intruders were interested, but in the one standing to its left. They entered by the front door and immediately removed a metal plate by the driver's seat. One of the men shone a torch downwards, appeared to locate what he wanted almost immediately, reached up and took from his companions something that looked like a polythene bag of putty, to which there was attached a metal cylinder not more than three inches long and one in diameter. This he securely bound to a metal strut with adhesive tape. He seemed to know what he was doing, which he did, for the lean and cadaverous Reston was an explosives expert of some note. They moved to the rear and went behind the bar. Reston climbed on a stool, slid back an overhead cupboard door and looked at the liquor contents. Whatever the camp followers in the presidential motorcade were going to suffer from, it clearly wasn't going to be thirst. There were two rows of vertically...